0: From WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome! I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. <laughs> Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Tahareh Lemon on October 5, 2020. Tahareh has self-published a number of books for children and young people on various aspects of spirituality, first via Adia Publishing, named after her daughter, and now Sacred Square Publishing. She has a background in education and child protection. Her first book was entitled A Gift from God inspired by the birth of her daughter. One of her latest works is a series entitled The Independent Investigator. We discuss both in the interview along with her upcoming book, Three's Not a Crowd. I started the interview by asking Tahereh where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up.
1: I was actually born in Virginia, but when we were three we lived in Hawaii for seven years and then I lived in North Carolina for a year each, and then Hawaii and back to Australia. I actually don't have a lot of memories of my childhood for whatever reason. I just remember probably most of my life, my parents, particularly my mother probably would have been the equivalent of a Sunday school teacher. But when I lived with my grandparents for a year in North Carolina, my uncle is a Baptist or he was a Baptist minister. So I went to the Baptist Church every Sunday and participated in Sunday school classes. So I had that exposure to the the Christian faith. My mother, like I said, was predominantly who taught us um, Sunday school classes within as Baha'is, within the Baha'i faith.
0: In the Baha'i faith, there is this teaching that of independent investigation of truth in which children are not expected to just follow in the footsteps of their parents in... Uh, just becoming a Baha'i out of, let's say, tradition, was there a spiritual journey for you that led you to owning the Baha'i faith as an independent person?
1: Yes. So that's, as you know, at the age of 15, where it's thought that a person is mature enough to make that decision. I didn't at the age of 15. I don't know whether I was just a quietly rebellious person or not, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to make sure that I decided that I was a Baha'i for myself and not because there was an expectation that I would decide at the age of 15. So I actually waited till the age of 19. And it was a couple of older Baha'i youth that were in their 20s. You could say they sort of took me under their wing. We'd explore what was sort of holding me back or what were my concerns. And and I realized that really deep down I was a Baha'i And nothing would change either way. And so then I decided that I would declare and then, because I was always still actively involved in in youth activities and Baha'i activities, but I guess I just did it more formally and made that decision at 19 and did it for me and not from any external pressure.
0: So you have a background in child protection. Can you explain what that is?
1: Well, my original background was actually education. But in the last 10 years, I've worked in various roles in child protection from one end of the other. So I've worked for what is called in Australia um, the Department of Child Safety. Uh, Now it's Child Safety Youth and Women. They've renamed, rebranded themselves. It's to assist with any children in the community who are not safe living at home. And looking at what interventions, whether they can um, have wraparound services and case managers work with the family and their parenting that enables the child to stay at home. Or if it's quite severe and children are definitely not safe, then they are removed from their parents and put into the out of home care system. So they're fostered. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're reunited with family, which is the ultimate goal, and sometimes they're not. So I've worked in roles where I've trained and assessed foster and kinship carers I've supported them but I've also worked in roles where I worked with the families that they had come under the radar if you like of of child safety if they didn't make some serious changes and get help for unaddressed mental health issues drug and alcohol uh, substance abuse a whole range of issues then their children were going to be removed so I've worked in roles where I've worked with them to help them address all the issues and concerns so that the children can remain at home.
0: Now, sometimes it is it dangerous doing this kind of work?
1: In that role, it was. And actually, I probably, to be honest, won't go back to that line of work. And I can see where people can burn out and I can see where they can work in a role. There's quite a high turnover and, and probably at least six months even to every two years often people will leave working for the department of child safety because it is tough work and they'll work in another role so when i've worked with the parents we have a real issue and i'm sure in lots of places around the world so i seem to get a lot of cases where the mother was obviously using ice and so they'd be in a psychotic state or different things are happening quite a lot of domestic violence or, you know, the partner had been released from jail and he was there. And so there were times where I did feel very uncomfortable and you're literally talking to the drugs. That's the problem. And to me, it's a broken system like so many systems. Really, I'd like to see the parents get help to deal with their addiction and and the trauma that underlines why they're even taking drugs in the first place before you can do anything because you're literally talking to the drug and not the actual person. And it was frustrating, and that's why I decided, no, I think I'll go back to working and supporting foster carers and kinship carers on the other end.
0: How did you even get into the line of work of child protection, being an educator?
1: The main teaching that I've done as a primary teaching, or in the U.S., as you say, elementary teaching, was in, at an international school in Tonga. And I taught grade five, and I loved it. That was my first major teaching job. And when I came back to Australia, because I live in Queensland, I guess it's different for different states, but you almost have to work as a supply or relief teacher for a number of years before you can get a permanent position, which makes it really hard not having consistency of work when you have children and you're trying to budget. So when I first came back and I tried to do supply teaching, I learned really quickly that all the good schools already had their regular supply teachers and so the schools that i was getting was the schools that all the other teachers had blacklisted the children were really challenging was really rough it was very stressful so i thought hmm i don't think i can do this for too much longer and of course i didn't have the background that i do have now i have about trauma So I ended up changing to a university as a placement officer for social work. So I did that for a while. And then there was a job advertised in another town and a friend of mine had seen it and said, I think you'd be really good at this job. And I had never worked in any aspect of child protection before. And the job was for a support worker and a trainer and assessor. And I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind trying to learn something about being a trainer assessor and, and move into community services because I was looking for an opportunity of how I could move across into another field. So I went for the interview and while I was being interviewed, the questions they were asking me just didn't seem to be what I expected. So I stopped them in the middle of the interview because there was a panel, it was the manager of the Department of Child Safety and the manager of that NGO and and the team leader and I just sort of stopped them and said, um what job are you actually interviewing me for? (laughs) The coordinator role. And I said, but I didn't apply for the coordinator role. I applied for the trainer assessor role. And they said, well, we thought, you know, you would be good as the coordinator. And I said, "Uh, well, no, because I've never worked in this field before. And for my personality, how I am, I like to first learn from the ground and work my way up and know what's happening before I work as a coordinator, I need to know what the people below me are actually doing and what their roles would be and what's involved so that I can have more insight and understanding. So they seemed quite annoyed, so they stopped the interview and they said, okay, we'll have to reschedule and you'll have to come back another day. <laughs> this is another town that's like hour and a half away to be interviewed for the job that I actually applied for. Anyway, I did it and I ended up with a job. Once you get your first job, in, I think, in any field, so in community services, and you get a little bit of experience, it just opened up doors to Mm. other jobs. So I'm ever grateful for that because it just led to many other roles over the last 10 years.
0: You've started a series of books entitled The Independent Investigator. So was this your first foray into publishing any writing?
1: No, actually it wasn't. I actually never wanted to write. I never saw myself as a writer. Probably oh, 17, 18 years ago, I have quite strong intuition and I've had different experiences throughout my life. I you could say intuition, some things maybe metaphysical. And so sometimes it'll be a voice, it'll be a picture shown to me or something where I feel I guess my true self is speaking to me. You know, things just pop into my mind. Just anything. Where did that come from? And sometimes they're very persistent and they keep popping up, which means I need to address something or look at something or consider something. So this idea of writing children's books and self-publishing just sort of kept niggling and popping up. It's going to probably sound a little bit strange to mm-hmm. some people maybe, but I felt like it was like from if you like God, if you like. Mm-hmm. He was saying, This is something that you could be doing and whatever. Of course, I'm not having this conversation outside of my head. (laughs) like you're crazy. So internally, I guess at a soul level, I was actually arguing with God, saying, no, I don't want to do this. I can't even spell. I'm part of the generation that was never taught grammar. I did not do well at creative writing at school. I just didn't want to do it at all. And I remember arguing, and this went on for a while, and then I finally made a deal and said, right, I'll do nine books and that's it. And that's what I did. (laughs) So one of the first books I did, So you probably got this information from a new, because I used to be under another publishing, I used to call myself Adia Publishing. So Adia is the name of my daughter. I have two children with a big gap because I lost several in between and never thought I would have a second child. I was told that, I was having another boy, and I was fine with that. But before I knew I was having a boy, I picked out like so many other people would. You go through your baby names books, and you pick out some potential boys and girls names. So I had Aiden for a boy, and Adia for a girl, and a couple of other names as well. Forgot about those names, and just focused on Aiden when I was told I was having a boy. And so then just before I went into labor, It was about two weeks overdue, and I really didn't want to be in due. Two o'clock in the morning, this very authoritative, clear, loud voice said to me and woke me up, pick a befitting girl's name now. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm having a boy, okay. (laughs) So I picked Adia, and sure enough, few hours later, I gave birth to a girl and I was shocked in two or three days, sort of walking around going, she's a girl, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and all her clothes were blue and green, and Adia means a gift from God, and that's why I picked that name, because one, I never thought I would ever have another child, and then having the surprise of a daughter, and and I thought that was a befitting name, so that was the inspiration for my first book, which is actually called A Gift from God. Because in the past for my children's picture books, I gave young youth that I knew in the Baha'i community and, and often I some of them I knew their parents, their family, friends, they were talented and you could see that they had some artistic skills and this is an area they were exploring. So I gave them an opportunity to illustrate my book. However, this time I've come back, I'm actually, the landscape's changed a bit and I'll go into that later. I decided to use professional illustrators and that's what I've done with A Gift from God. So that was my first book and I'm not kidding, that story I really felt like quite a bit of my writing, I feel it just flows, like I'm just sort of like a hollow or a channel It's coming through me and I think I wrote that story in like five minutes, it just came to me. So I wrote a few books before I did the Independent Investigator series, and all the other books were inspired by other books that I'd seen out there. So the Independent Investigator was inspired by my son, who was a bit of a reluctant reader. In fact, the only way he learned to read was I finally got him. I didn't know how he'd read it, but I'm glad I bought him the Pokemon. He's 28 now, nearly. Handbook, and so that motivated him to mm. want to learn read all the Pokemon special powers. But I sent him for the first few years to a private Christian school for his education. It was a smaller school and I thought he would benefit from that because he has ADHD and so I thought that would be less distraction, smaller school, more structure would be better for him. And he was reading this book when he was at home one day, which surprised me to see him just reading. And I asked him and I said, what are you reading? Can I have a look at your book? And it was a book written, I guess, for ch- Christian children in the U. So it was the U.S. And I don't know the name of the book. It was a really interesting concept. So all these children from throughout the U.S. had written to a person who, I don't know whether his real name was John or he just decided that was a good name to have. And they put, Dear John. And children would write and young people, any questions that they had or any issues they were having at school or with their peers, And John would write back an answer, which was published in this book. And he would answer in very simple terms that they could understand about the questions that they had or the problems they had or concerns. And then he always supported it with a verse from the Bible. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting concept. And to see my son being interested in it as well, my daughter's name helped with a gift from God, but it was my son from a young age who was more asking lots of questions about God and was very curious. Then it got me thinking, okay, we don't actually have any books like that within the Baha'i faith for young people. That's actually a really good idea. And children are interested when you, because they're naturally curious. They have this curiosity. If you can answer the questions, then they're going to be keen and want to listen and find out because you're answering their questions what they're interested and concerned in and so that planted the seed for the independent investigator series
0: what were the kinds of questions these kids were asking john that piqued your son's interest who wasn't interested in reading
2: i don't know what it was actually and maybe that he's just interested in spiritual things i mean it's interesting I must have done a, a particularly good job in a way because obviously I really taught my children about the independent investigator of truth and I taught them all about the different religions. He actually has become a Christian. He's decided that's the path that he wants to take.
0: Is the format for the independent investigator similar to this book that you were describing uh, that your son read or is it a little bit different?
2: It's a little bit different. I didn't encourage people to write in about any problems.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: didn't want to take that side of it. But I was more interested about any questions that they had about life in general and the world around them and the purpose of life or whatever they're interested in. And then would answer it from a Baha'i perspective. But I would also do a little bit of research depending on what the question was as a bit of background two different issues as well. So, so that combination, I didn't want to address any personal problems and go down that road. I probably wanted a bit more general.
0: And it's a series. So how, how is the series laid out?
2: Well, it was never meant to be a series.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just wrote one because as you can imagine, it was a lot of work researching it and, and going through the questions. And I was I really wanted to keep the questions exactly as the children had asked them. I didn't want to change them to how you think it would sound better grammatically or how an adult. I've just kept it as the way that they asked. And I just did one. I hadn't planned on doing another one, to be honest, but I could see that I was getting a lot of positive feedback. I had done think 500 then I ended up doing another thousand and sold those people were asking and I I could see there was this real interest in and I think people just assumed there would be more and then I thought okay I'll do another one so the first one all the questions for young people who I knew and friends of friends I guess kids in Australia and then I went to New Zealand and I ran some workshops there so in the north island every year although probably not this year with pandemic and things that are currently occurring they would have what they call a summer school and the baha'is from all over the north island and they can come from the south and some would even come from overseas would get together for a number of days in those holidays the last week of december And they'd have workshops for children, workshops for youth, and workshops for parents and talks. And I've been twice, and I would really love to go again. And so I volunteered to run some focus groups, if you like, with the junior youth. So that 11 to 14-year-olds basically met with them and said, you know, if you could ask anything that you wanted to ask and find out what the Baha'i perspective is on it, or have any concerns, what would it be? And so that's where I got all the questions for the second book. I think the first one was like written 15 years ago, the second one was 10 years ago, and I had no intention of writing a third one. And I stopped self-publishing for about 10 years because I thought I did what I said, I kept up my end of the bargain, (laughs) that was it. I wasn't going to do any more. But people would comment on it and how much they loved the books and where could they get copies and that I should continue to write and that, and that I had this talent and, and they liked my style and, and my ideas. It kept niggling at me for the past 10 years. I only decided to start self-publishing last year and it's really been a blessing in disguise. So there were a number of things besides work, I guess it all sort of
1: accumulated
2: and compounded. And I ended up not realizing that it was happening. And this is why we need more conversations about things like burnout. I actually burnt out last year. I'm just recently going back to what I used to do, but I've had a year off. And I didn't recognize the signs. But since I've opened up and spoke to people about it, I've met a number of people who have all Experience are currently or burnt out now and recovering like I was. What really helped with the healing process? Because uh, I was thinking, okay, I have to change careers, but look at my age. And then when I was starting to think about looking for work, COVID came along, and now mm. a recession is coming along. And you know, I'm trying to dumb down my resume, and you know, you've got hundreds of people applying for the same position. So I was getting a bit down about it all and a little bit lost for direction. And I don't know whether it was after praying or meditating, but the idea popped up again about why don't you just self-publish again? So that's what I decided to do. And so while I was healing through the burnout process, it was providing me with something positive to focus on and move forward. And it's a good creative outlet. It's so important to be creative you know, there can be so many different formats. And I would not have ever thought that writing would be, but it it has been for me. And because I was burnt out too, like it was very scary at one stage where I literally couldn't read for a while. That's how exhausted I was. I could not absorb information in one paragraph. I couldn't write. And I'm an avid reader and I love to read. That's one of the things I do for my downtime. So to not be able to read was really depressing and to focus. And I remember going to my GP, being quite upset and going, I feel like I've become dumb. Am I going to be dumb for the rest of my life? (laughs) She reassured me. And so did the counsellor, no, I would not, but I need to rest and it will take its time. You can't force it. And I remember running into and having a conversation with a police officer at an Airbnb and was having this conversation. And and he said that he had had it himself. I'm not surprised working in the police force. And he said, look, when it happened to me, he goes, I remember talking to my wife saying, I think I have sudden advanced onset of dementia because that's what it feels mm. like and it's really scary. And, you know, he took quite a while to recover as well and, and I said, yes. And you look back, you can see where you probably had the signs but you just keep soldiering on and you don't recognize it. So the Sacred Square Publishing is what's given me something positive to focus on as well. And because... I had such positive feedback from Independent Investigator Series, and I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I wrote these books 10, 15 years ago. This is a new generation. Really, the questions and answers are, are, are really timeless because of the sorts of topics, for example, you know, life after death. and as long as man has existed, these are the sorts of questions people have been asking about. So they wouldn't go out of date. But when I looked at the cover and I looked at illustrations and I thought, you know what, I need to kind of modernize this a bit, get on with the times. So I just redesigned the covers, got rid of previous illustrations, redone the – but the content's exactly the same and I just changed a little blurb in the introduction Again, getting lots of positive feedback from people. Again, this niggling thing was coming up about writing a third one. And I thought, you know, times have changed. Young people now are just bombarded with social media. Everything's at their fingertips on the internet. They have access to so much information more than previous generations and they're and they're much more aware of what's happening in the world different generations have obviously had concerns and different concerns over the years but I feel like it's being amplified and I thought okay this would be really timely now looking at everything happening in the world and supposedly our education system is we're meant to be creating critical thinkers and that It would be an ideal time to do another book but open it up so it can be any young person from you know obviously speak English because I can't translate other languages can submit questions for a third book so I'm just starting to promote that and asking people to sort of post up the little post that I've put with a little flyer and if they know any young people to pass on the word so that they can email and I can compile and I'll look for common themes and do a third book. And so to me, in my mind, I should say never, be, never say never, because every time I do it, it comes back to bite me. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking in threes because I've got some other little projects and I, I'm sort of thinking in threes for everything at this point in time.
0: So I'm speaking with Tahare Lemon, who is a member of the Australian Baha'i community who has self-published a number of books for children and young people in various aspects of spirituality. And she has a background in education and child protection and one of her works is a series that we've been talking about entitled the independent investigator how have you been finding people using this book or is it simply uh, young adults reading these books on their own or have there been other ways that the independent investigator has been uh, utilized
2: people of all ages have actually read it i remember um, a friend i've known for many many years And she's been raised as a Baha'i, been a Baha'i her whole life. And she married someone who, he's not affiliated with any particular religion, but very open-minded. And he read the books and she was so amazed. And she goes, I've never been able to get him to read any other book (laughs) written by a (laughs) Baha'i and he read your books and he loved them. And so I think they appeal to a range of different people as well. And some people say sometimes the style is good if, English is not some people's first language, or some of the earlier stuff that I had done. When I did these years ago, I guess it was more just thinking of a book for young people that if they had a question, they could just look it up and they could read it. It wasn't a book that you had to read from f- front cover to the back. You could just look at something now and again or something that piqued your interest. And I didn't want it to be too big and too daunting. And then I got the idea maybe earlier this year or maybe last year, contact with another friend who's a Baha'i, originally from Canada, but she's now living in Australia. And she said to me how her books were a really great resource. Now, it must have been earlier this year. She's been using it since COVID and everyone has, you know, when we all had to have lockdown. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't have their normal get-together face-to-face with their junior youth groups that made it a bit tricky, so everyone went online. So some of the activities that they were doing before, like sports was you know impossible, and it, they just felt they needed to do something a little bit different in this transition period of time. And she, I realized, had started up an online session once a week, I think on a Monday evening, she said, and they were actually working through the independent investigator series, and they would pick a question a night or two and they read it and discuss it and find out what they thought first before they read what it was and she has young people from all over Australia participating in this and I've heard that more and more people are using it with the junior youth groups because it's a really great way to get discussions and conversations and, and sort of get inside the head of young people to see what they think first as well. And then present maybe another way of thinking, or it might already affirm what they've already thought, because that's the key. You want active engagement. You know, gone are the days where you think they're this empty vessel that we're just supposed to pour all this knowledge into these young people. They already have a lot of knowledge, and you and you have to sort of work with what they have and scaffold it and and, um, and take them to the next level. So that's the other reason why I decided to do a third book because I realized, oh, okay, this is what people are doing now. I'm sure young people would have a whole new series of questions now that weren't in previous books that would pique their interest. And so I thought, I saw that as another sign that I really should do this so, yeah, so those are two different ways that people are using them to read as an individual or in junior youth groups for discussions.
0: Are you getting a lot of returns on your solicitation for questions?
2: It's not even a week. I just, <laughs> and a few people have just approved it, you know, because normally some of the blogs or sites, they have an administrator and they get bombarded with a lot of people, especially now wanting posts. So, I'm just hearing back from a couple that they've approved it and they've put it up. So these things take time and I haven't really put a deadline as such. I sort of believe in timing and not forcing timing and so it's more like, well, when I get a certain number of questions, it takes a while. So as I see questions coming up, you know, oh, that's a great question that hasn't been covered before, I'll just start chipping away and working at the book gradually and then when I get a certain amount of questions, then I'll decide, to compile it and, and get it ready for being published.
0: Do you have a favorite question and answer you'd like to share, or read an excerpt?
2: I learned so much doing these books, just researching and looking up the questions and reading the Baha'i sacred texts and, and the holy writings, and even just doing general research on some of the questions as well for some background information to make it relevant for young people. I learned so much. You know, I, I've always had a passion or an interest in life after death. I don't know, maybe some people might think that's morbid, but i have from a very young age and I can realize why now. So that was something. But there are a lot of other topics I probably hadn't really looked into that I found interesting. So anything about life after death is of an interest of mine anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the, the new set of questions that would come up with yeah. the third one.
0: You said that you did not change the wording in which you had received the question from a child. Would you have an example of that?
2: So some of them are wordier than, because normally you would not try to have a long question, but because I kept it, well, you can see that it's come from a child, I suppose you could say in this particular question was, when you die, how do you know you'll continue to live in heaven since you won't have a brain and you'll just be lying there? So it just shows that really literal thinking. (laughs) Okay, and things like, what do you do in the next world? Won't you get bored? So you can really see how young people's minds work. I think it's another one in the other book. You know, how we communicate with people in the next world if we don't have a mouth. So it's just really interesting the different ways that the young people interpret things or how they word them.
0: I'd be interested in the answer to uh, how do people from the next world communicate without a mouth.
2: Okay. I see my memory still not great, so I will just read it to you. Okay. Okay. Our souls will not require a mouth to communicate with in the next world. We will communicate by spiritual means. How exactly, we don't know, because we cannot really imagine the next world. According to Baha'u'llah, the soul retains its individuality and consciousness after death and is able to commune with other souls. This communion, however, is purely spiritual in character and is conditioned upon the disinterested and selfless love of the individuals for each other. In response to a question posed to Abdu'l-Baha regarding a departed soul conversing with someone still on earth, He replied, a conversation can be held, but not as our conversations. There is no doubt that the forces of the higher worlds interplay with the forces of this plane. The heart of man is open to inspiration. This is spiritual communication. As in a dream, one talks with a friend while the mouth is silent. So it is in the conversation of the spirit. So just going back to... You know, having read that, for those who don't know, Baha'u'llah is the founder of the Baha'i faith. So the quotes have come predominantly from the writings of Baha'u'llah, but also his son, Abdu'l-Bahá, who was appointed as the center of the covenant and the successor following his death. So the quotes are predominantly from Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Bahá.
0: Where can people find your books?
2: Because it gets a bit complicated, for my own direct distribution, I just do Australia. But if you go onto the book depository or Amazon, they can be purchased. And another place which probably would – it's a bit hit and miss. I don't know how the Amazon and the book depository work out their pricing. But I find they're more expensive and they can really fluctuate a lot. But they're also available online through the Baha'i Bookstore probably where I would recommend getting them and you'd get a fairer price because they seem to be hyped up on Amazon in particular.
0: What you said piqued my interest in your, what I would call an ability to, in some ways, commune with the spiritual world. And you have experienced a pretty direct direction that you need to take as a result of that communing. Outside of your publishing work, do you have another example of how you got a clear message that you needed to do something, therefore you either followed up on it or you regretfully didn't follow up on it?
2: I had decided to try the world of internet dating. And so I thought, okay, let's give this a go. And I'm quite a trusting person. I had someone that I was communicating with And they had written a poem and they said they had written this poem. And I'm not really into poetry, but I I said, gee, this poem is really great. You should seriously think about getting published. And the person thanked me and I didn't think anything of it because I would think in this day and age, no one would send you a poem that they had just plagiarized from somewhere else because it'd be easy to find out but of course I didn't even do anything so one day this little voice it always seems to be early in the morning when I get up it's told me google the poem and I was really busy and I get very determined and focused on things and I just ignored it and then a couple days later I got up early in the morning and voice said google the poem and I just pushed it aside again and then a couple days later again google the poem all right will you be quiet google poem <laughs> and I went online and would you believe it was like one of the top five love poems of all time published <laughs> in the history. <laughs> so then I just sent the link to the person and basically said have a nice life. <laughs> so that was an example of, of what I have and, yeah. and I have different experiences where I'll just be walking, meditating, praying and something will pop into my head about a friend just out of the blue, I wasn't even thinking about them. And I've sort of learned, okay, if this happens three times, I'll just share it with them, like plant a seed. And I often say to people, you know, and I think, okay, there's, there's a reason that this is keeps coming up. So, and often they're going through some sort of challenge in their life. And I'll just sort of say, have you actually considered looking at this? Or do you think it could be this or have you explored this idea and so I just sort of plant seeds with people and give them ideas but do it that way and just do it very gently maybe as I get older too I'm being more aware of it I've realized like probably so many of us you just get so busy with life and you're just being bombarded with things on all directions I only started learning when it was recommended when I with being burnt out and stuff to actually really meditate And it was really hard. I felt like I was being tortured. (laughs) I wanted to jump out of my skin. And to even sit there and breathe deeply was like, it took me weeks to even be able to do that and to work through it. Now, I can't go more than a day or two without having my at least 20 minutes of just going in. And I think because I'm actually taking that time, you know, I'm still praying as well. But I think you also need to create that space Of just that inner peace and quiet and just see and sometimes something will come up sometimes it doesn't but it gee it has a huge impact throughout your whole life and I think because I'm doing that as well I'm more in tuned with that inner voice and my intuition which I used to just push to side or squash it or override it or whatever I'm starting to take more notice of it now as well
0: So does your intuition or inner voice tell you what you should be doing while you're waiting for these questions to come filtering in for your third in a series of independent investigator?
2: Honestly, I have so much juggling at the moment, so there's no rush. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's just sort of happened. But I guess once I I made up my mind, I remember I was seeing the counselor and, and I was a bit of a rut And I just felt like I was a little bit stuck. And she said, well, what could you do if you could do anything? Um, What is it you really want to do? And I kind of knew about the publishing and, and writing as well. But it's one thing to have something inside. But I think when you verbalize it and externalize it to other people and you write it down, it's really powerful. And all I could think about was writing and writing books. And actually, I was... Writing other stories, and I had done some online writing courses and I had submitted to different publishers in the US and Australia, and I've just had a rejection rejection, which everyone gets. I've had lots of rejections <laughs> and learning you know how to pitch yourself and sell yourself. But the more I did these courses and I listened to podcasts and seminars, and I learned that you could write a beautiful story. But if it doesn't fit in with the trend of what they think is the trend, because I see some books and I actually think, well, how did they get published?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: there's some beautiful books out there, but there's a lot of them that it's just, there's no meaning to it or real value. It's I guess they're just writing for pure entertainment. I thought about that and then you'd have to change things. I mean, I'm open to change. I use an editor all the time and, and always take on board what she says as well and really value her experience. But I then started to think, okay, you're probably not gonna be this famous children's author. And the reality is it's getting harder and harder to get traditional contracts. And I get it. It's a business. They want to make money. So they're going to give contracts to people who've already been published and have a name. And whether their new book is any good or not, they're banking on the name. And now you have celebrities. You know, how can you compete with celebrities? They're right mm-hmm. writing children's books. And it just keeps going on and on. And then I, I did some soul searching and thought, you know what? Instead of that, how about I write books that really target I guess the theme of spirituality which is really I mean we're all spiritual beings here having a human experience and I think that's really important and the virtues and moral values and stories which have a meaning to it. I like to try and put humor in stories where I can as well, but they need to have meaning. They can't just be for pure entertainment or I'm not willing to go down that road. So I stopped pitching myself and submissions to traditional publishers and it's it's changing. You know, people would sort of frown or poo-poo anyone who was self-publishing, but that's an area that is really growing and even some people who traditionally publish, they're also self-publishing and they're doing both. So the attitude towards it has shifted as well. I'm actually hoping to pick up some books from the printer today. And this is something I had done years ago as well that was quite successful. So there was a program called Peacemakers or the Peace Pack. So there was a curriculum um, designed and they were running it also in schools. Because in Australia, I don't think you can in the U.S., they're still in state schools where half an hour a week there's religious instruction, and it's all different religions. And if there's an interest from the parents or the children, they could have multiple religious education classes run one day a week for half an hour, and you'll have different denominations of Christians. You might have some schools, Baha'i classes. So this was being used. And what I really liked about this particular one as well is it really had a focus on learning about all the world's religions. And I think that's why it appealed to so many other people as well, regardless of what the religious background was. And it was really promoting that idea of oneness and connection and different paths all to the same place. So they had some beautiful little quotes in it from all the major world's holy scriptures. And so I had done an art competition And then I compiled them into a little book and I did a thousand and they just all sold. Mm -hmm. And that has always stayed with me. And then I noticed throughout the world, there's another uh, Baha'i inspired program that's being run in also some of the schools in Australia, but also just within local neighborhoods and different communities that's for people of all religious or non-religious backgrounds that really focuses again on, the virtues of kindness and sharing and caring and love and then eventually again they've incorporated another program looking at all the world's religions and so I thought hmm, I did that book many years ago and then you've got this program going how about I create some resources to support this really great program that's happening in our communities. I recently had an art competition and compiled two little books with prayers and quotes from this program which should be coming today. And again, I'm already thinking of a third one. (laughs) And I've also got another book arriving this week. It's an experiment. So when I looked at the junior youth empowerment program that's happening in different communities, you don't have to wait till you're an adult to make a difference in the world. And a real focus on service within your community and using your gifts and talents to make a difference in your local communities. This is a Baha'i inspired? It is, yes. I think it's a great idea and and we're seeing more of that anyway in general throughout the world as terrible as this pandemic has been and there's been a lot of grief and loss and uncertainty and fear there's also been some positives that have come out of it and one of the things i've really noticed on the news in different places is the coming together of people actually getting to know their neighbors and people rallying together in the community to help others in their community more so than ever before people have become much more charitable and reassessing what's important in life and realizing it's really also um, your humanity and, and relationships with other people. I thought, okay, so I looked at the program that they're using for this particular junior youth spiritual empowerment program. They have used a range of books. They're trying to make it universal and each one will be set in a different country. So you get to learn a bit about maybe the challenges in that country and maybe a little bit about the culture. It got me thinking when I've looked at them all and go, well, there's nothing Australian. Ah. (laughs) And yes, they are interesting and I think it's important and they learn. And I thought we're also going to need something that will engage young people too that live in Western countries that they can relate to. And what are the dilemmas and problems they're having? you know we have similar problems but we always have different problems as well i thought okay and i still i still don't see myself as a writer and so independent investigator is more about research and then putting it in a simple way children's picture books are 500 words maximums then to think of writing something longer and i thought okay and I just started typing. Actually, I've never had so much fun. I just made it up as I went along. I had no idea where it was going to go, <laughs> what was going to happen. But I actually felt like I was inspired with this one as well. It just flowed. I was just going to do one and I showed it to someone else who runs Junior Youth Group and has been using the Independent Investigator series. And I said, look, I just want the honest truth do you think this would be of interest to young people would you use this in your junior youth programs and she loved it and she said yes she would and she said don't make it any longer the new one I have coming out is called three's not a crowd I already have ideas for the second one but I've I've just want to see how this one goes first and so it's not a narration as such It's really a dialogue between three close friends and whole different scenarios that they end up in and the conversations they have in those situations. It ended up being about 10,000 words, just ended up being nine chapters, and there's about five questions at the end of each chapter that you can have a discussion. So it can be a read-alone where a young person could just read it, wouldn't take them very long, or it can be something that they read a chapter and they have a conversation about the questions and how they can relate to it in their own lives for some of them as well of of what happens with their friends and at school and just tried to make it something that was relatable and I also decided to buck the trend a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. because quite often a lot of our stuff that gets published uses and there's nothing against it because I use both interchangeably American spelling. So people got really excited and I said, I even used Australian spelling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I said, it didn't
2: seem right that it's about Australia and these three junior youth that live in Brisbane in Queensland and, and I thought and that could be interest to other people from other countries too to get a bit of an idea, I guess, what it's like for a junior youth in Australia. And some of the things they might eat and do and whether that's of interest anyone out of australia time will tell but i just felt like i needed to do something and if there is an interest then i will write another one in the series and bring in a fourth character which i've already decided will be a refugee and i'll deal with racism and other issues like suicidal ideation which is quite prevalent and just different issues of the young people have heard about or know someone of and just so we can having these conversations with each other and skilling them up with what to do in different situations as well. And then I have another book so you can see why I'm not worried about waiting for all these questions yet. (laughs) So besides a gift from God, I did another children's book called Signs of God's Love. So for many years ago, I used to um, teach Baha'i children's classes and they just happened to be on a Sunday. I'm finding now more and more having them like on an afternoon after school seems to suit more parents. I guess changing times. People want to free up their weekends. I don't know. So I used to call them Sunday school classes, but I was teaching different aspects of the Baha'i faith plus about other religions. But I just felt like I needed something something else and something for young children to teach them about all of of god's creation and the different i guess powers if you like within each of those different from minerals to plants and animals and then human what makes humans different you know what special power do we have and just to realize how amazing this world and nature is and the beauty and how everything reflects different attributes if you like of God and that's such an abstract thing but then how can you make it something that make it more relatable for a child that is a book I had published in the past and again I've used the same illustrator as a gift from God but I've asked her to do a totally different style since I've done a children's writing picture book class best thing I ever did through the Australian Writers Centre I used to just write I'm sure a lot of people have done this in the past hadn't done any courses about writing I think well I've read kids books millions of kids (laughs) books (laughs) to my children to the class I know how to write a book and I just write and some of the books would be 20 pages and some would be 22 and I really didn't know And then when I did this course, I actually went back and re-edited all my books that were written for children's picture books. And I learned that the standard, the industry standard is 32 pages for a children's picture book. And I went, right, we're going to make this as professional as any other book that you can buy in a bookstore. And I just followed it. And I did 32 pages. I took on board all the different things you're supposed to, the perspective you take and, and how you write and I rewrote them so that they'd be more engaging and less abstract for young children. And it's sort of changed my approach for things as well. Yeah, and getting an editor was a good idea as well. And my challenge, I'm sure it drives, it used to drive my English teacher crazy as well in high school, is I mix up past, present, and tense (laughs) verses. And because I came to Australia just before I was 12, Honestly, I think I've only discovered now some words are spelled differently. That sounds really sad after, you know, just over 50. But I realized in my writing, you know, half of it's written in American spelling and half of it's written (laughs) in Australian. But even some people don't pick up because, like I said, we have so much that's got American spelling as well that it's kind of getting mixed. And you can almost get away with it in some cases as well so that's been a challenge to think okay am I doing this in American spelling or Australian or even terms I had to look up because you know I've lived most of my life in Australia now and I'd be like oh what's the term in America they wouldn't say this and I have to google (laughs) see what the equivalent is so that it would make sense to an American when they were reading something so so lots of projects and ideas
0: I did want to make a comment that In my opinion, the publishing industry is like every other industry in the world that's being challenged by a new age and new technologies. This new age really is making it possible for individuals to do things that they couldn't do before because they were beholden on big institutions like these big publishing houses.
2: Print-on-demand is good, although it's a bit too costly for children's picture books. But for other books, it means that people don't have to have thousands of dollars to invest and get all these books printed and then have boxes and boxes in their house (laughs) taking up space. And now with print-on-demand, You could just order a few and have them. I mean, you do have costs, your graphic designers and illustrators if you don't have all those talents, which I don't. But it's just much more accessible and easy for people to do things like that, even if they just dreamt, even if they just wanted to write a book and publish something for family, like a a memoir. And there's just so many opportunities that just never existed before. But I'm seeing more and more of a need, and it is happening where we need more and more inspiring books for young people mm-hmm. and for children. And I think that that might be an area where at this point in my life, I'll put my energies. All these ideas keep coming for books for young people and children. So then obviously that's, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Well, Tahare, I want to thank you so much for sharing your work with us. It's very interesting.
2: You're welcome.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tahereh Lemon, author of books for children and young adults. You can visit her website, Sacred Square Publishing. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website, abahaiperspective.com, and on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website, baha'i.org, or you can call the number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on a Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.